Hey there, my name is Dan Pontifract. I'm an author and a leadership strategist. And these are my thoughts on becoming a love-based leader. One of the lines that I use when I'm giving a few of my talks, specifically when we're chatting about personal purpose, is as follows. How do you want to be known when you leave the room? How do you want to be known when you leave the room? What does that mean? Well, basically, it comes down to this, I think. We're all, I believe, on a journey to the waterfall, which is we all end up six feet under, and we're all living our lives. And sometimes we forget what it's like in the moment. And we lose our cool. We may be thinking about things that aren't our demise. And we're only in it for the power or the title or the growth or the greed. That's not perhaps you. But I often think about others when I'm looking at this world and think, are they wondering what they're being viewed like when they leave the room, proverbially? How do you want to be known? So let's look at Tiger Woods, the famous golfer, for a second. Somewhat recently, depending on when you're listening in on this, he won the Masters Golf Tournament for the fifth time, the green jacket. And indeed, it was his 15th major golf tournament win uh, over his very storied career. But there was an 11-year period in which he did not win a major tournament. And everyone thought, you know, when he turned 32, he had won uh, the U.S. Open and had garnered his 14th major, that it was just a matter of time, maybe a year or two, in which he would eclipse the record of 18 majors that was won by perhaps the most famous golfer ever, Jack Nicklaus. Now, I'm not really a golf fan, but I know the story of Tiger. Many of us know the story of Tiger. You know, he was almost destined as a child to become the world's greatest golfer, this prodigy. And I'm certainly not blaming his parents, but when he shot out of a cannon to win his first Masters back in 1997 and subsequently went on for the, the next, you know, 12, 14 years or so, winning tournament after tournament after tournament and major after major after major, he picked up a bit of a reputation. A reputation as, I don't even know how to say this, but uh, an arrogant jerk. And, you know, if you believe in the adage, my network is my net worth, I kind of fell into knowing some folks in and around the Orlando region whom came into contact with Tiger on many occasions because that's where he lives. And that reputation within the community was one of arrogance, of pretentiousness, of cockiness, let alone how he came across in the public, which was 
not as bad as that, but certainly I wouldn't argue anyone that um, was, you know, hospitable and copacetically kind and, you know, genuinely. He just came across as a man on a mission wanting to eclipse Jack Nicholas's record of 18 majors and he was going to do whatever it took in order to get there. And then a funny thing happened on the way to success. Uh, you might argue karma. <laughs> The wheels fell off the golf cart, so to say. I mean, he got caught up in a sort of sexting-texting scandal, uh, alleged to have committed adultery. Subsequent to that, his marriage fell apart. His two children were then split between two homes. He then, you know, went on a bit of a debauchery and prudence kind of ambient, Vicodin, booze-laden rant and ended up running his truck into a tree. Media got attention of that and it was essentially the demise of Tiger's reputation. Now, in parallel, things were happening to his body and he had knee surgery, he had four back surgeries. He was essentially out of commission for about a decade. And everyone wondered, you know, what happened to Tiger? Is this, is he ever going to come back? And then in 2019, he unbelievably came back and won the Masters, as alluded to, for the fifth time. But I look back and I think to myself, how was Tiger being viewed when he, quote, left the room? You know what? How were people viewing him? Yes, driven. Yes, incredible athlete. Uh, but is that the aura that he wanted to leave behind? This kind of maniac. You know, yeah, you can have success and you can have millions of dollars. But what is that it? Or, or do you when you leave the room, do you want to be known as someone that cared, that cares, that gives back, that provides hope? That is a leader. And when he did come off that 18th green in Augusta, Georgia, at the Masters and had won, there was his children. And you could just see his body language, that sort of love oozing out, that, that wicked sense of ego missing, the pretentiousness gone, beaten, and those embraces, I don't think I'll ever forget, I mean, I teared up almost uncontrollably, thinking to myself, gosh, you know, maybe, maybe he's our answer, maybe he's helping us see that leadership, yes, it's a journey, but leadership is about allowing yourself to be vulnerable and humble and kind and genuine. And sometimes we do have to struggle to get there, as Tiger definitively demonstrates to us. But it's possible. It's possible to live a life as a leader, not in vanity, but for others. He was high-fiving people down the tunnel. He's never high-fived anyone. He hated the public, or so it seemed. The scowl on his face was one in which he demonstrated that he doesn't really care about you. He just cared about himself. It was Tiger Woods, the machine. But in this case, it was like, hmm, I really do like people 
I, I got to be a better leader. I got to demonstrate humility. And it was amazing. It was amazing. Flip over to the other side of the world in, in Australia. And this CEO of Qantas Airlines, Alan Joyce, received a letter from a 10-year-old kid, Alex Jacat, whom had sent him a letter that essentially said, I am the co-founder and CEO of Australia's newest airline, Oceana Express. And he was looking for advice on how to run the airline. And in the letter, he essentially asked a few questions, wondering what CEOs do. It's a good question. Looking for a few tips on how to run the airline, you know, CEO to CEO, I suppose. And then third, he was kind of curious about the the long journey from Sydney to London. And in that 25 odd hours, looking for ways in which for passengers to do things, you know. <laughs> so it sends a letter out and Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas gets it and, and essentially had this decision. How does he want to be known when he leaves the room, so to say, when that letter got into his inbox. It was a physical letter, so a literal, you know, physical mail carrier inbox. But he writes back. He writes back to, to Alex. And, and in it, he's, he's kind of kidding around at first, saying he's not typically in the business of, quote, giving advice to my competitors, and that his newly appointed head of legal might have something to say about that. That was cute. But he says he's going to make an exception on this particular occasion because, quote, I too was once a young boy who was so curious about flight and all its possibilities. He says that his number one tip for starting an airline is to put safety first. Good. And then he started saying, well, I, I appreciate and understand the troubles about that long flight between Sydney and, and London. We're thinking about that too. And he referred to this project called Project Sunrise which is a team embarking on the um, kind of the work on what to do over that long span. And they were looking about idea generation in Project Sunrise. What could we do to make the journey more comfortable for all? And so uh, Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, invites Alex, this 10-year-old kid of a rival airline, Ocean Express, to a meeting between, quote, the CEO of Australia's oldest airline, Qantas, and you, Alex, as the CEO of Australia's newest airline. And he said at the meeting they could compare notes on what it's like to run an airline. And he's going to give them a tour of the op center. And he says, thanks for the letter. I'll be in touch soon about finding a time for the meeting. And indeed, a few weeks later, Alex shows up at the operations center and... They have this wonderful meeting. They signed a memorandum of understanding so that Qantas now, through Alex's initiative, actually would bring kids in on a kind of quarterly, semi-annual basis to discuss ways in which to make journeys for children that much more appeasing and amenable. I mean, that's amazing. But again, here, no one needs to know the story per se. Because Alex just sends in the note, the letter, to Mr. Joyce. 
No one gets wind of anything until Mr. Joyce sends a letter back and Alex gets to show that letter to his show and tell inside of the, the classroom of his mates. And then we all find out about it. But now I ask you, again, the question, how do you want to be known when you leave a room? In this case, Alan would have been going to bed, I suspect, thinking, oh gosh, what, what do I do about this kid? And Alan said, no, Alex, I'm going to help you. Now, compare that to a, a few recent kind of stories. Uh, let's start in America with Wells Fargo. I mean, in, in Wells Fargo's case, it's been probably a good half a decade of nonsense between various senior leaders, between opening up fake accounts on the consumer side with millions of customers unknowing to themselves that they had opened up another account on their behalf, to make revenue and profitability targets and so doing a bunch of people left or got fired 5,300 in total in fact but recently uh, its CEO Tim Sloan abruptly announced his retirement at the end of June and uh, his CEO duties had ceased effective immediately because this scandals and its culture of suffering I mean it's arguably a point to make that Wells Fargo needs to reset itself. It needs a factory reset, in fact. So why? Where are we at here? Well, it seems that in the case of Wells Fargo, a bunch of different senior leaders have looked in the mirror and when asking the question and answering, how do I want to be known when I leave the room? Their answer was, about themselves, that profit at any cost, that revenue at any cost, at any cost, indeed, indicative of even how the customer thinks about the organization, how the employee thinks of the organization, those leaders chose, if you like hockey or kind of football metaphors, to play for the name on the back of the jersey, not the crest on the front. Those leaders chose a different path than perhaps I would have, or perhaps you would have. Look no further than, than Boeing and the recent 737 MAX aircraft crisis. I mean, we're... We're, we're, we're up to like 350 people, more than, have, have perished because of what? Because there was a race for Boeing to improve the fuel efficiency of its 50-year-plus 737 class of aircraft against its rival Airbus, who had come up with a new airline called the A320neo was about 15% more fuel efficient than Boeing 737. And so, a race against the clock ensued. And the senior leaders, right? What did they do? They chose profitability and revenue, and thus speed and time against its arch enemy Airbus, against safety. And in fact, made a decision to start charging other airlines for these additional safety features that might have, some pundits argue would have, 
prevented those two airlines, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 and Lion Air Flight 610, from crashing. How do you want to be known when you leave a room? In this case, safety first? Or profit and speed to market first? One of Boeing's values is safety. We value human life and well-being above all else and take action accordingly, it suggests, and that by committing to safety first, we advance our goals for quality, cost, and schedule. Really? And we aspire to live these values every day, it claims, the company. If your values are merely words on a wall, are they values? Are they valued? <laughs> I, I don't know. The examples of Wells Fargo and Boeing and its senior leaders whom have made these types of decisions. This is not AI and chatbots and robots making decisions. The humans actually made these decisions in Wells Fargo and Boeing's case. Compare that to Qantas CEO Alan Joyce and, and how he decided to act with a young boy in his letter or in the full summary circle of Tiger Woods. There's someone whom looked in the mirror and said, I, I gotta do better, if only for the sake of my kids. But he and Alan Joyce are examples. When they leave the room, they know that they've done everything possible at this point for people to say, I get it, I understand them, I'm with them. Versus those senior leaders over at Wells Fargo and Boeing, who ultimately chose a path that as they left the room, we, society, looked at and said, huh, that's not for me. That is not for me. Ask yourself now, folks, how do you want to be known when you leave a room? That's part of your personal purpose. That is part of becoming a leader who's open, empathic, concerned for others, and yes, love-based. Thanks for listening to me, Dan Pontifrac. More about me and what I do for a living at www.danpontifrac.com. That's www.danpontifrac.com.